nothing brings you together like food. And then you're, then you're happy. Once you're happy, then you're talking. To have fun and to learn at the same time is, at least for me, just about as good as it gets. This is Drew Kugler, and welcome back to Tell Me What to Say. Phil Rosenthal is today's guest. Phil, who's best known as the creator of the classic television series, Everybody Loves Raymond, and is the host of his show now on Netflix, covering the world of food as he sees it, called Somebody Feed Phil. In our time together that we had for this interview, I sense that I got to know a guy who is not only deeply genuine, he is also naturally funny, and maybe most importantly, enormously grateful for what he gets to do in his life. Here is my conversation with Phil Rosenthal on Tell Me What to Say. Phil, thank you for for being here today, here at your home. Welcome. So, thank you. Thank you for having for having us here. Um, as I was just saying, uh, a long follower of of your success, but that's not what we're here to talk about. My failure. Uh, your your failures. Let's I want to go back to failures. that movie. That movie you did. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, no. I I I, I want to talk about conversations with you. Yes. Uh, in in watching the show, in watching your previous body of work. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot actually from you, uh, uh, about conversations. Uh, and I want to, I want to break them up into three areas today and take it one piece at a time. All right. Am the I going to leave here being self-conscious about talking to people? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. That's my goal. Okay. Um, the actual thing is, I think you're going to teach people here, uh, something pretty interesting. Um, in the, one of the shows, um, from, uh, please feed Phil, right? I got the title right. No, you're as bad as my parents. Right. Somebody feed Phil. Somebody feed Phil. We yeah. can edit that. No, anyway, it's fine. Um, I like it. <laughs> that's right. Maybe please, there's something wrong with please. the title. Because uh, I've heard someone feed Phil. Who's feeding Phil? My parents. That's their favorite way to say it. Uh, uh, who is Phil is uh, what I hear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you well, like. Well, on that show, you were uh, speaking to Alon Shia. Uh, and you talked about food as connection. Yes. That was a very, very critical line that made my both professional and personal ears perk up. Yeah. Connection. I am not near in the league of foodies that, that foodie people that you are um, or known to be, but uh, it, it resonated with me so. So I wanted to ask you about connecting over food. Right. And with at least one question to get us going uh-huh in the show you eat with others yep and you eat by yourself a little bit yeah right what's the difference in the eating experience for you yeah when you are by yourself versus when you're with others it's very simple uh you're not sharing it when you're by yourself and to me the sharing of it is everything it's only good. Everything, I think, in life is only good if you can share it. Mm. Right? Every experience, I think, is better when you share it with another person. You ever go to Europe and you're walking alone 
in, in down the street and you're marveling at how gorgeous it is, let's say, in Italy, and you think of another person that you wish was with you to show them this. I mean, yes, there's obviously it's nice just to be there. But I always jump to the next thing. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They would love this. So that's how I feel about every lunch I have. Who am I going to have lunch with? This is something that goes back for me for, I don't know, my whole life. Who am I having lunch with? It's almost a tent pole in the day. It's the respite in the day. If you build it like like you're building a two-act sitcom, all the action from the first act builds to that act break they call it right so you could figure your day is like that all the action all the work you're doing in the morning builds to lunch can't wait for lunch and lunch is both the break and the the restorative that you need for then the rest of the day and in in sitcoms all the action from the act break that that break all the action falls from that moment in the second act, you Interesting. see, that gets me, by the way, to dinner. But, <laughs> right, right. But the lunch is like this, is this tent pole in the middle of the day. I've always felt that food was this great connector. I think as animals, we hunted and we ate probably together for safety reasons. Hey, watch my back. There may be a lion. Right. Right. <laughs> to get to eat our wildebeest when we're trying to eat it. Uh, and then if the food is good, you're both in a good mood. And if you get along, well, that's everything, hmm. right? So I say in today's climate, instead of a wall, how about a table? Because that to me, the, if food is the great connector, right, then everything else is possible. And I, I go on to say food's the great connector and laughs are the cement. Mm. If we laugh together, if we share a sense of humor, or even if you just appreciate my sense of humor or I appreciate yours, now we're friends. So, you know, they say that uh, liquor is the great lubricant, right, for conversation. Yes, it loosens you up a little. Maybe your inhibitions give way a little bit. But I think that, uh, you know, food certainly gets you to the table yep and and it's something nice to talk about if nothing else hey this is good i always made sure like on the set of uh the sitcom that we had great craft service craft service is what you put out for the crew to nibble on it's usually chips and nuts and kind of junky food but if you make it nice all of a sudden, people come to the craft service table and they turn to each other and say, can you believe this? Can you believe they flew in cinnamon rolls from Ann Sather's in Chicago? Wow. So yes, tell me, wow. Tell and me, right away, yeah. we're bonding over something nice. Over Ann Sather's. Tell me if uh, the two other things, that foods that you made sure were there. You got the cinnamon rolls. So you, fresh soup was being made every day. Right. Fresh sandwiches were being made every day. We had a chef that, that's there. And a lot of places have it, but it's usually just junk food that people, you know, just grab a handful of and move on. Right. Candy and stuff. But I made sure that once a year, maybe there was deli flown in from New York. Or mm-hmm. uh, once a year in the, in the office, we'd have... Uh, crab claws flown in from South Florida and we'd get hammers from the set and cover the writer's table with newspaper and go to town. Hmm. 
And everybody would show for that. The stars, the people. Whoever it wanted was, was community, right? Uh, it, it was nothing brings you together like food, I think. Right. And then you're then you're happy. Once yep. you're happy, then you're talking. Yep. And did that, I'm assuming, as you looked ahead from I'll have what Phil's having mm -hmm. and then on to this experience with Netflix. Mm hmm what you just articulated yes you were fortunate enough to be able to make an entire creative uh, production and experience yes. for the world out of what you just said and the sharing of the food to me is the bridge to get you to the people i want you to meet right right as you say that does somebody come is somebody in your mind's eye is is there one just as you think about I would want you, so So, do we go to Bangkok and meet the woman with the goggles? Yeah, you meet her. She's awesome, right? Jay Fi is her name. She's 70-something. Mm -hmm. She's been cooking this crab omelet for her whole life. It's one of the best things you'll ever eat in your life. But she's on her feet 11-hour days, right? Right. She now, by the way, since we did the show, she won a Michelin star. This is street food. Right. It's, it's pretty expensive street food for street food. That omelet, which is the size of a football, it's like I call it a football filled with crab, right. is $25. When most of the street food next to her is 50 cents or a dollar, okay? $25 is, but that just tells you how labor intensive it is, the shelling of these fresh crabs and the value of the crab meat itself. That crab omelet would be prohibitive in the United States. Right. You don't see it. You have a crab omelet. There's little bits of crab, and it's an omelet that's, you know, maybe half an inch high. I'm talking about a giant football filled with right. crab, and it would be $90 here. It would Easily. be impossible. No chef would do it. They said, no, we couldn't afford to do it, and no one, well, we couldn't afford the manpower. We couldn't afford to put it on the menu, and we, what we would have to charge to make any money at all would be no one would pay for this. Prohibitive. Yes. So I meet this woman, right. and I watch her work. And I get to talk to her. She hardly speaks English. Right. But what are we communicating? Joy, love. I'm hugging this woman. Because I can tell what her spirit is. I can see the light in her eyes. I can see how delighted she is that I like it so much. Mm. And I see that this is someone who's devoted her life to making you happy. And she has a whole, if I'm correct, I looked her up. Yep. She has a whole restaurant that she runs, yes. if I'm correct. It's not big. No, no, no. But there's, a, it's there's a, an it's, entire production it's along It's a tiny bit more than a shack. Got it. And there's other things on the menu, obviously. You think you see in the in the show, we have this giant seafood soup, this Tom, Tom Ka Kai soup. Tom Kai. Oh, my God. Yeah. I hope I said that right. But, I, I man, there's, there's something more pertinent to what you're talking about, though. In the scene where I... There's a, there's, we, everybody has a, when you do these shows, there are fixers and fixers means someone who lives in the location, who has production experience, who's going to take you through and make sure everything runs smoothly with either the police permits or the chefs, you know, getting, he, they're the in-between person between you and this foreign place that you're going because they live there. So we had one fixer, her name was Noak. And she's a mom, I think, with two small kids, and, and she's so lovely. She would never have an opportunity to actually eat in a restaurant like Gagan, which is rated best restaurant in all of Asia. This is a maybe a three-star Michelin 
restaurant. This is fancy food. And I thought, what if we surprise her? It happened to be her birthday. And I found out that day. I said, why do I, I'm going to sit, the, 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 the scene called for me to meet Gagan. Gagan he was right. going to cook for me sitting at a counter. By yourself. Alone. Now, I'd have Gagan to talk to. That's fine. Not No small thing. No. But I, I eat enough. I'm happy. I'm fine. What if we just made this woman's life? What if we just turned her on to something? Wouldn't that be a better scene? First of all, mm-hmm. selfishly thinking of the show. But also, look at her. She's working her tail off for the, our production. She couldn't be nicer. I love her. I want to do this for her. Let's and, and I said, let's set up the cameras. Don't tell her. Let's hide the cameras. And I'm going to walk over to her, right. and I'm going to offer her a seat at the counter. Might be fun. And sure enough, it's my favorite scene. You had a great time. The yep. greatest time. Greatest time. Because I saw it through her eyes. I'm Mr. Lucky Bastard. I get to eat this way, right? Right. In my stupidly lucky life. This person, let's see what someone who never gets to eat this way looks like when they eat. Right? And the fun we can have with that. Right. Through food. Of course through food. Yeah, that was the, the... Well, that happens to be the common experience that we're sharing. But what's uncommon is there are flavors that she's having and ingredients that she's having. She never had sushi before. Never had it before. You watch the show, you see right. this person eat something that I think a lot of us have now taken for granted. Yes. For the first time. And her reaction, which I won't give it away, her reaction when she bit into it it had the cone i remember yep and her reaction as she looks at you is i laughed the three times i watched it gorgeous right i mean she's a gorgeous wonderful and and to me that's everything yep got it got it by the way if she didn't speak a lick of english it still would have been great would have worked yeah still would have worked do you ever before we leave momentarily the food world Uh do you ever like eating alone Sure. Yeah, I'm a What person. does that bring you? I don't know. Just that peace. You know, maybe I want to read my tweets or whatever, right? <laughs> while I eat. Maybe I want to watch TV while I eat. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I love all. It's all good. But yeah. if you ask me what I prefer, sharing the that experience. That is clear. That is clear. Speaking of sharing, um, as people will know by even a quick glance at Google, you... Uh, were the creator of one of the great sitcoms Thank of all you. time. Um, and That sitcom is called Frasier. That's right. No? No. Wait. No, it's what is called. it? <laughs> I, now, that was one of those things, when I was first watching it, I misreferred to it, again, as everyone yes, loves Raymond. Yes, a lot Raymond. of people do. What is the... Well, That's a we'll word cut thing. The English. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. It's yeah. a word thing. Always, Everybody and everyone is interchangeable to most people. That's right. But what I love is when people say, my favorite show, it's the best show I've ever seen. Everyone, I'm like, if it's your favorite, (laughs) how about getting the name a little right? Is it your favorite, by the way? It's up there. Next, How could it not be? True. But you watch, you are, uh, I've listened to you. A student of the form. You are a student of, you watched shows when you were a little kid. It got you. I've heard all the background that accelerated you into this world. Honeymooners, All in the Family, Honeymooner. Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, Taxi, right. right? Right. Odd Couple. The I love those shows. Right. Love. 
they influenced me. Why? Because they were uh, what's called a four-camera sitcom, meaning this wonderful hybrid of theater and film. Mm. All were done in front of an audience, right? So it felt like an evening at the theater when they were great. And uh, they all took place on planet Earth. They all never strained credibility so much at, that you said, that would never happen. Right. You want to, if you're making one of these things, you want to go to the edge of believability, but not over the edge. Yep. You yep. have to justify. And it's so much more satisfying if you justify the craziness so that the audience believes it. Mm-hmm. Great example of this is Tootsie. Nothing happens in that movie, and there hasn't been one since. <laughs> it's that sad, right? That comedies have devolved into just, you know, a lot of gross-out stuff and, and silliness. There hasn't been... Tootsie, I maintain, is, is a sitcom as a film. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a believable person in an incredible situation. It's putting that character of the Dustin Hoffman character into an incredible situational comedy that's what it is that's right he but the writing directing and performance all stays on planet earth right you're never ever doing anything that could not happen in real life now would it happen in real life that way absolutely no is it stretching it a tiny bit to say that these people believe that he's a woman no i don't think so much because Dustin Hoffman himself, if you know anything about the making of that movie, actually convinced a lot of people he was a woman in real life. Mm-hmm. Shaved the eyebrows, did the whole But he cared thing. about that care. It wasn't just like Milton Berle in a dress where you say, that's a man in a dress and he's goofing on, you know, what it is to be a, a fancy lady, right? right? Right. This was an exercise in believability. Mm-hmm. Could he pass? And he did. Mm. Anyway, I got off on a tangent, but one of the great movies, one of the, and my that's cr- yeah. that's what you shoot for. That's right. So you did that. Where I want to go for a second is we stay with this theme of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other episodes of this podcast that people will listen to, the guest who has done in most cases work with me mm-hmm. uh, will often refer and tell the story of how I pushed them. Mm-hmm with love yeah to have what is commonly called a difficult conversation oh now is the reason, one coming there's one well <laughs> maybe it's a difficult question but as the creator you, of that excellence why were you mean you to did, your brother right oh no no okay as the creator of that excellence behind the scenes there were moments where a difficult conversation had to take place you had to kill an idea you had to change somebody's emphasis as an actor. You had to have the hard conversation. And my question is, yeah, in creating that excellence and greatness, what was the role of having the hard conversation? Yeah. Especially for someone who is completely identified as being this sweet, nice guy. I love this. Okay. So I actually, not to sell a book, but I wrote a book about this whole thing. Hmm. It's called You're Lucky or Funny, How Life Becomes a Sitcom. And it's about how you can take your life and turn it into something 
that you wouldn't think would be valuable into something that might be valuable, like a sitcom. Okay? Got it. We all think that our lives aren't worth anything, that nobody would be interested in hearing about our lives. But it turns out that Ray Romano and I, what we did was combine our lives, right? And then I went off and wrote a script. What I didn't know about his family, I turned in, I put in the personalities of my family. That's how the show was mm. born. Okay, now, first difficult conversation. Ray Romano is a comedian. He is a great comedian. For 12 years, he was a comedian. Before, he was on David Letterman one time, and Letterman said there should be a sitcom for this guy, right? And they said about looking for a writer to create the show for him. Okay. When you get that job, this comedian now has to trust you with his life. Mm. No one's ever written material for this comedian before. The difficult conversation comes when I hand in my script to him and he has to have the difficult conversation with me and I have to have the conversation back. How do you handle his criticism, his, his, uh, what he's going to feel comfortable with, what he doesn't want to feel comfortable with? Both of us hate confrontation and would do anything to avoid it. Both what, of us. What did you do? The whole first season of that show was us barely looking each other in the eye because I don't know if he trusted me. And to be honest, I didn't know if I trusted me either mm. because it was the first show I created. And yet, I remember needing to have the talk, like like the, 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 the studio and the manager said, you guys have to talk we would have been happy not to talk, just to show up and do the work. But there was something in there that was he wasn't comfortable with, right? Uh, be it uh, just because he wasn't used to acting. You know, he wanted, I remember, could we put a little of his act into the show mm. and make it sound like conversation? Well, you could a little, but more than a little, it starts to sound like a stand-up comedy act. And we want it to sound like real life. So that was actually part of the conversation. Who started the conversation? Wow. He had to. Because he had to tell me what, was, what he was feeling uncomfortable about. Mm -hmm. Okay? Once that ice was broken. And by the way, there were times when I had to do it. Some of it, you get into the... I'm not going to say it's manipulation, but I'm going to say it's learning how to direct maybe and, and how to communicate with someone else. I'm going to give you a great example of this. There were things he wasn't comfortable with. For example, he, he, we had a bit in maybe show number two where Deborah's a terrible cook. She can, nothing she cooks is good. Even the coffee's terrible. Okay, and he goes, uh, I don't know if uh, I can do this. I said, what's the matter? He goes, uh, uh, I don't really drink coffee. I said, no. I said, guess what? It's TV, in the cup, anything you want, <laughs> right? He goes, uh, I don't know if they'll buy it, which I, you know, is crazy, but I love that because what he doesn't even realize is that's the method. That's method acting. He doesn't even know how good an actor he is. He's great, by the way. 
let me preface everything by saying if you've seen his work since Raymond, if you've seen him from the beginning of Raymond to the end of Raymond, and then everything after that, you see a, a trajectory of great. Big sick. He's in. He's in. Big yeah, sick. Big yes. Sick. He's in the new Martin Scorsese movie yeah. with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Well, called The Irishman. It's coming on uh, Netflix next year or two years, whatever it is. They have to de-age Pacino and De Niro <laughs> digitally. That's going to eat the whole budget. Okay. So... <laughs> Raymond, I say, we'll just cut the coffee thing. Don't worry about it. You know, secretly, I love this because I come from a theater background. and I love that he intuitively doesn't want to do anything fake. That's the number one job of the actor is to what we're talking about. Be believable. Okay, now. Eight shows later, let's say. There's another coffee thing. We forgot. And <laughs> it was another coffee thing. And I noticed it when we were rehearsing on stage. Oh, sorry about the coffee. We'll change it. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, at some point, I got to start acting, I guess. Oh. So right away, he's already. Now, four shows or five shows after that, we do a show where his father, played by Peter Boyle, <clears throat> tricked him into thinking that uh, baseball he had his whole life was signed by Mickey Mantle when in reality he signed it. Okay? Mm -hmm. And he finds that out one Christmas now. And he's pissed off. And he goes to confront his father. And his father tells him the story of how he really wanted to get this for his boy, Raymond. And he waited outside Mickey Mantle's uh, dugout and, and the, the clubhouse for days in the rain and Mickey Mantle never came out and he kept trying and trying and trying and then he found a signature in a newspaper or something and he practiced copying it until it was exact to give it to his boy and he tells him that story and in the script it calls for Raymond to listen to that story not say anything go over the table where the kitchen table where his father is sitting and give him a kiss on the forehead. Right? And say Merry Christmas. Raymond, in rehearsal, doesn't say anything and doesn't do it in rehearsal. And I say, Raymond, what, what about that? You know, it says in the script, he goes, that would never happen. Now, this is now in front of everyone. So um, when, I, when we rehearse, we have all the writers there and the crew is there and the other actors are there. And I said, oh, okay, but do you, do you see a world where maybe the, it could happen? If it, it would never happen. This is the first time I've ever seen him angry. Wow, I hit, we hit something. Wow. And I see he's getting visibly upset. I don't know what to do. I pull him aside, personally. Right now, this is two guys awkward about confronting and awkward about talking to each other about the thing we care very, very deeply about the show. It's him uh, literally out there and it's me, my baby. OK, we care. I didn't know what to say, but I said, no, 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 forget it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. But but ju just here's here's the only thing I want to say. Sometimes this can happen and I'm just going to say it and I'm going to drop it. Don't do it at all. But when we're shooting in front of the audience on, on Friday night, 
and you get to that moment, if you feel it, try it. If not, don't. I don't care. You don't have to do it. And we dropped it. Three more days of rehearsal. Doesn't do it. Audience comes in. The show is going well. Peter Boyle nails that speech. You could hear a pin drop. We don't usually do the serious moment. I love them because they give the show some gravitas and ground you in believability and reality. He does the speech. There's a pause. Raymond walks over, kisses him on the forehead. Everyone, me now, crying. Why? Because it came from a guy who doesn't do that necessarily. Well, there's your communication. That's it. Sometimes you say it without saying it, which, first of all, is, I think, good writing. Second of all, there's different ways to have a conversation. Right. This was not an order from me. This, I grew up a little bit. I learned. Maybe if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and you don't push it. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. If you push it, what would that do? Create resentment, maybe? Bad feelings? It was his choice. Mm -hmm. All I did was show him that there was an option, which I think is the key, maybe, to how we get along as human beings. That's right. Which leads me so perfectly to the last question. And it's something that I want to indirectly make sure I thank you for. Oh. So it goes like this. You mentioned earlier Dick Van Dyke. There are, because of it was we're about the same age, there were indelible moments of Dick Van Dyke. Right. Okay. My indelible moment. Yeah. And then I'm going to get to my indelible Raymond moment. Okay. The indelible Dick Van Dyke moment was him rehearsing in bed, putting on his hat. Yeah. When Laura was going to have the baby. He, as long as I live, I will never forget yes. his movement. Right. Don't know why. It sticks. There is a moment in Raymond, which even with my Google research, I can't find the episode, but I'm professionally praying you can remember it. Huh. Ray and Deborah are quietly observing... Um, uh, Marie and Frank. Yeah. Marie and Frank are saying nothing. nothing to each other. Yep. I learned from you that day a secret to marriage. Next month, I will be married for 23 years. He. And it helps me every time where it isn't about where the conversation is not about what you say it's about being there yeah the, the, tell me about that can you can you yeah, recall the I, I episode wanna, i want to say that that entire episode was about they don't talk enough they don't converse enough. Right. Then Deborah's lamenting this. That's right. We don't. And and, and maybe they want to go to therapy even. I don't remember exactly. But at some point, it reaches a, 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 a climax and they're very angry. And they're at the parents' house. 
and they're getting something and they look through the pass through from the from the living room to the kitchen and they both stop and look at Frank and Marie who aren't talking at all but they're eating together always eating in our show in my life and they silently beautifully communicate everything they need and everything they want they don't have to talk they've been married 50 years and they are fine perfectly fine and comfortable because they're together just because they're together and because there's a comfort in the ritual that happens every day right and and uh we don't have to say it and ray and deborah look at each other and you know they get it because we get it that's right uh yeah i i i haven't thought about that scene in a while but that's nice well it it taught me personally and along with rob petrie <laughs> with the hat that moment and if if maybe after you could somehow magically point me toward that episode i went through all my seasons huh. and i couldn't find the reference but i wanted to begin to conclude our time here by thanking you for that well episode. thanks that was by that the way there's a there's a punchline to that uh communication with raymond about uh the kiss on the forehead that was episode i want to say 12 out of 24 that first season and at the end of 24 episodes we got picked up for another season which is everything you could possibly want it's like hitting the jackpot again the first jackpot is they make a pilot the second jackpot is they put it on the third jackpot is it's doing pretty well it's like winning the jackpot over and over and over again but this one means we get to hang around for a while and we had a party we had a party end of year party and i got he ray hands me an envelope very strange is it a tip is it a bonus i opened the envelope i found the quiet spot later in the party i couldn't wait to see what was in it and i went alone into a corner while the party's going on and i opened this envelope and there's a card in it and all it says is i never thought i'd thank anybody for making me kiss peter boyle That's everything to me. Yep. So, he and I are brothers. Yes. Since then, we still don't talk a lot because for some reason, we're not that type with each other. Mm. I don't think he's that type with many people, really. I don't think, you know... His wife used to say when she watched the show and there would be a Ray and Deborah scene, she would turn to him and say, you just talk to her more in this scene than you have to me all week. <laughs> and he would say, yeah, because I have writers there. <laughs> Gives him stuff. <laughs> Gives him stuff to say. Gives him stuff to say. But, well. but, you know, he he's gotten way better. You know, sometimes it's hard to communicate with somebody that you feel is uncomfortable communicating. Right. It makes you inhibited, because you know they're uncomfortable. But you fig. But I wanna, I wanna, I wanna conclude on you figured it out as any relationship can. Yeah. Work, home, whatever. You figured it out when you found out that it would be worth it, right? Right. That it would be worth the sacrifice, worth the 
awkwardness, yes. the agita, right. th- all of that. Right. Because of what we get. So isn't, the, isn't, aren't uh, most relationships worth that? Unless you're with the most toxic person that yeah. you should get away from. Yep. Isn't everybody worth it? Yeah. And there's always a cost. There's always a cost. Mr. Allen put it, put it very well in, um, in Annie Hall, right? Doctor, my wife, you know the joke. My wife, my, 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 brother? my friend thinks, my brother thinks he's a chicken. Well, right? tell him he's not a chicken. Yeah. Talk him out of it. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. And he says, but I need the eggs. Right. Right. So who's crazier? Who's crazier? <laughs> no one. Phil, thank you oh, so it's my very much. This, I've learned a lot. Thank you for your, your contribution to culture. Thanks. Um, and we'll keep watching the show. Somebody sure. feed Phil. Come Somebody on. Somebody feed Phil. Jesus. And we will, we will, we How will put that in. How many times does he have to hear the, it? It's right. <laughs> got it. You're Mr. Communication. That's right. Maybe you listen a but little. But I let you do it. But I let you do it because you're much better at it than I. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.